Hello everyone, Derek Floyd here, Beautiful Now Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Beautiful Now Live. This is the segment where I interview special guests to talk about things that are topical and relevant to you, your family, and your community, and that could affect your daily life. And today's topic is extremely sensitive and almost controversial. But before I get into it, let me remind you as always that if you like the content you see here, please hit me with a like or subscribe to the channel. This lets me get the most updated content to you as soon as it's available. And hit the little gray bell next to the subscribe. This lets me notify you that the new content is ready. Also, the things that we always do are brought to you by, empowered by, IK Multimedia. Now, today's subject is actually very controversial. It's been a debate for quite a while because we're talking about something that seems to be almost not true, almost not possible. And that is, is sex addiction real? We think about that topic and we go, how can we be addicted to something that is natural or part of our human condition, so to speak? And we've had this thrown up in our faces from a lot of superstars as of late, like Tiger Woods and Michael Douglas, Rob Lowe, Charlie Sheen, all saying they have a sex addiction. And are we saying, is this true or is this just an excuse? We just don't know. But today, we're going to dive in and find out. We have an incredibly talented special guest who's a sex addiction therapist to talk to us about what this really means and how we can kind of put this together or kind of put this in our minds to say this could be a real disorder. Will you please help me welcome my special guest, sex addiction therapist, Charlene Lewis, and sex addiction coach, her husband, Josh Lewis. How are you guys this morning? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Hey, thanks for getting up early to help us talk about this incredibly difficult subject. It's uh, something that everybody's ready to kind of dive into, right? No, it's a, it's definitely a subject that people try to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit taboo, like your grandmother would never talk about this thing, right? Right, absolutely. <laughs> and Josh, how you doing today, buddy? Good, good. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Um, I think it's a great opportunity to, to talk about what people are not talking about. Yeah, yeah. As I dug into this subject to kind of prepare for the, this great uh, interview, uh, I, I started seeing all this stuff on the line. And of course, you know, I saw TED Talks. I tried to dig around. And there's just a debate of whether this is a real disorder. Is sex addiction real? Or is this just an excuse for people who have bad discretionary, you know, discretionary issues? You know what I mean? It's real. You know, I mean, sex addiction is really out there. A lot of people are struggling with it and not talking about it. And I think some of the stuff in the media just kind of puts more confusion, you know, to what's going on there. Like you said, there's a difference between being a sex addict and, you know, someone that's cheating. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's just dive right into that. When you talk about someone that's cheating, you know, what I found is this. All of a sudden, this enormous influx of celebrities that are saying, hey, I've got a sex addiction. You know, Tiger Woods, Harvey Weinstein, Rob Lowe, and Michael Douglas, Charlie Sheen. I mean, there's a laundry list of people. And I looked at it and thought, these are all the guys that were cheating. You know, is this a real disorder? And what is the actual definition of the disorder? So in order for something to be an addiction, there has to be uh, compulsive use. 
there has to be continued use despite consequences. And it's really about like an obsession and a compulsion and something that the person has no control over. You know, there's also like an increase in tolerance. So someone that cheats usually doesn't have those components in there. It doesn't have that obsessiveness or that lack of control. You know, they can get caught. They can almost lose, you know, their, their wives or their husbands and they can stop. You know, they go into therapy, they work on whatever the issues are, and that's it. It's a non-issue. With sex addicts, they can lose everything and still go right back to doing whatever it is that they were doing. They literally have no control over it. And part of it, I mean, it's also a brain disorder in ASAM, which is like the medical association. Like they, it's absolutely part of, you know, the prefrontal cortex is the one that handles impulses and in addicts it's shown that that part is just very underdeveloped like it stops working for you know Mm. lack of a better term Hmm, hmm. and you know how long have you been in this side of therapy or learning about this different topic how'd you discover it so i've been doing this for you know i was asking my husband the other day i was like how long have i been doing this (laughs) <laughs> and I, in my mind, it seems like only a couple of years, but in total, it was like 15 years, seven, wow. maybe seven, eight <laughs> in sex addiction. But I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's a long time. That's a long time. <laughs> it doesn't feel that well, though, so that's probably a good thing. <laughs> well, you said something perfectly, and what you know, a lot of us think about is um, how can you be addicted to something that's a part of the natural human condition? Like, how can you have an eating disorder because you enjoy food? If you eat food too much, it's still part of what you do. It's part of who you are as a human because it's part of what we do. And sexuality, or sex itself, is a natural urge. So how can you be addicted to something that's already natural? And if, if you are, then how do you cut that off? Because normally the, the therapy part of things would say, in order for you to to not stop doing that, you have to stop doing whatever that thing is to make your therapy happen. So you, you don't stop having sex. Where is the line drawn in that part of it? Well, yeah, uh, it's, it's when it's feeling compulsive, you know, when it comes from a place of medicating underlying feelings. So anxiety, depression, I want to have sex to, you know, an outcropping of actual <clears throat> of love, you know, of a committed relationship as, you know, something that's a little bit more uh, meaningful, you know, so when, yeah, when it's, it, it's used to, to medicate feelings, then it's a little bit more, addi- it can be a little bit more addictive. Mm. And you as a coach probably find people trying to ask that very question, you know, how do, how do you coach them into understanding this is an actual problem and not just, oh, I just want sex too much, you know what I mean? Well, I think the first question really is, how are you doing with it? Like, is it a problem for you or isn't it? You know? <laughs> sure, sure. Is it causing problems in your life or isn't it? You know, and starting from that place, because I think it's very difficult to force somebody into a mold that they're not comfortable with. And so it really has to come from within for them to be able to identify as a sex addict. So they're saying, yeah, uh, I have tried to stop this over and over and over. And I just, you know, I've tried this. I've tried that. I've tried moving. I've tried therapy. I've gone to church. I've, and it's, I just keep, I, I keep falling and I keep doing it. And I say, okay, well, 
um, then you might have a problem. Let's continue to look at it. Mm. And that, that brings me to an interesting question. You know, there's the husband and wife, there's the spouse that have a, they thought really healthy relationship and one of them is truly an addict, but they don't really know how to diagnose it, per se. Like you're saying, they're not sure that they're, that they're normal or abnormal. Um, you know, what are some of the symptoms and signs that the other spouse can look for to kind of help diagnose in the direction of this? Well, I think part of that definition of, you know, continued use, you know, despite all of this adversity or despite all the consequences, a lot of times these partners, you know, find their husbands, whether it's with an escort or massage parlors or pornography, there's usually a huge blowout fight, a lot of, you know, promises that I'll never do this again. And it continues. And when that continues and they fight and it continues and it's like this, you know, hamster wheel, that's usually a sign of a bigger problem, you know, that would need to get assessed. And there's also the, you know, the secrecy and the hiding of it, um, which is, you know, something that the partners look at as well. Or is the husband or wife present? You know, are they emotionally available during family functions or, you know, even just with within the couple? Because a lot of times with addiction, there's a sense of avoidance. Hmm. Right. I'm avoiding my partner. I'm avoiding family engagements because I just don't want to deal with any of the stuff that, you know, comes up. Hmm. One thing that I, I wanted to just kind of circle back for a second when you um, asked about sex being like a natural human, you know, desire. Hmm. And hmm. I want to really reiterate that it's there is nothing bad about sex. Nothing. Hmm. You know, hmm. It's it's good loving thing that we engage in mm -hmm. the process part of it is you know like josh was saying when we use it for different purposes than what it's intended to be and for mm -hmm. longer mm -hmm. right because yeah people can use sex to de-stress there's nothing wrong with that you know i mean mm -hmm. that's a healthy sure but when i'm when it's my only way that i can de-stress that's when mm -hmm. it becomes a problem when I don't have any other coping mechanisms and that's the only thing I find to make myself feel better, then I'm going to use people or, you know, the computer to feel mm -hmm. better or even my spouse, you mm -hmm. know, to feel better. So it's not about giving and taking. It's really just mm -hmm. about taking, you mm -hmm. know, what, what can I get? And that's mm -hmm. also like, you know, a sign of addiction when there is no give and take. It's mm -hmm. just take Addictive behavior, you may have been an alcoholic or something else, but Josh, you said sometimes people just switch one addiction to the other. They may get cured physically by the alcohol addiction or whatever that may be, and then they just put that behavior on sex. Does that happen more often than not? Is that how it starts, or does someone start with just sex addiction from there? Well, it, it's funny. Uh, I don't know if I can, I can or should disclose, but uh, it was my first addiction so i'm an alcoholic and drug addict in recovery so i've been reco in recovery for nearly 18 years this this april um thank you and, congratulations yeah and uh sex addiction was my first um my first addiction so it became an addiction early on in childhood you know 10 11 12 with pornography and so interestingly enough i find that it is uh kind of like the gateway drug that uh, a lot of people don't talk about and in fact is becoming more and more the gateway drug. And another distinction I would make about sex addiction is that 
people would would think that the end goal of sex addiction is actually like an, an orgasm or their people are, but it has nothing to do with that, believe it or not. And so how would you make the distinction? It's actually the hunt. So like the, the looking, the searching for that next partner, for that next picture, for that next, there's a sort of like draw and compulsive draw to it. And, you know, having an orgasm is just, the the last teeniest part of it it has really nothing to do with the actual chemical release at the end it's sort of the charge of of the searching and the searching and the it almost it, it almost becomes like a trance-like state where you become numb and everything else falls into the background and it's like <sighs> mm. and so somebody would kind of have to relate to that feeling to be able to say, Hey, I might have a problem. <laughs> wow. Wow. And, um, you know, Charlene, you're about to speak something. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. I just wanted to bring that topic back out because most people will go, well, if, if it's just addiction, maybe they just have an addictive nature and can it be solved by just curing the addictive nature first? Charlene, is that somewhere you can go? Cause you're a specialist in that area. Anyone can become addicted to anything, right? Because it's exactly what Josh was talking about. It's about the chemicals, right? There's chemicals that our brain naturally releases. Mm -hmm. And anything taken out of balance can become addictive, whether it's food, exercising, gambling, drugs. <coughs> so it's really a lot of the healing, the therapy, the, you know, the work is around what's making me so uncomfortable to begin with. You know, where does this pain that I need to medicate come from? And more often than not, it comes from, you know, different childhood experiences. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, you were saying, can someone become, you know, addicted to sex and just that, like, you know, later on in life, maybe, or yes, but that's not the norm, right? So if we're talking about a bell curve, those would be more like outside of the bell curve, mm -hmm. like someone who had absolutely no addiction and... And with pornography, I think that's more and more common, right? Because of the internet and how, you know, easy it is to get. There could be someone that, you know, just stumbled upon pornography at the age of 20, 25, which, you know, I've had clients and all of a sudden they're addicted. It's like the crack cocaine, you know, of the uh, sex industry mm -hmm. because of how fast and all of the images and, you know, everything that you could do in a very small amount of time, mm -hmm it can absolutely take over someone's life. But more often than not, it's something that came previously at a younger age. Um, mm -hmm. Whenever I have clients that we talk about like, when did this start for you? Or when did you realize that you started using sex as a way of coping? 90% mm -hmm. of the time, it's like between the ages of seven, 10, 12. You know, usually when they start experiencing their body and their sexual organs and realizing, oh, this feels good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, if that person realizes a moment of, oh, this feels good, and most of their childhood is, you know, their parents are fighting or a lot of chaos, or the parents are not there really, you know, or they're there, but they're not emotionally present. So they feel alone. So they're walking around with this feeling of either super anxious and when's the next shoe going to drop or mm -hmm. I'm all alone and no one really cares. All of a sudden I find, you know, my penis or my vagina and it's, ooh, this feels good. I like this mm -hmm. feeling and I'm going to do this. 
Gotcha. Now, gotcha. Now, if they had a better way of coping early on and knew how to deal with that uncomfortability, that anxiety, and were taught early on ways of more healthy ways of dealing with that, then they wouldn't have to turn to it. But, you know, your yeah, body yeah. and brain kind of do whatever they need to do to be able to survive and feel like they're going to be safe and comfortable. And if they don't have those tools, then, you know, addiction can, can become an option, right? Mm-hmm. It kind of becomes their outlet, right? It becomes their space to go when the world gets nuts. They go over here, whether it be yep. pornography or whatever, um, which is amazing. Thank you for breaking that down. And which, which leads me into a, a broader question, which is, of course, is pornography. You know, that, that whole segment of the world is huge. I mean, we've been, we've seen this around for years. And some people even say it's healthy to watch a little bit of pornography inside your relationship and all that stuff. Um, how do you, structure that thought or, or do you feel that pornography is destructive or does it have its own place in sexuality within a healthy couple? I absolutely think it has its own place within sex, you know, within a healthy couple as part of sexuality, as long as it's okay for the person, you know, for, and for both individuals, because then now once you're married, it's not just you, but it's also your partner. Mm-hmm. But pornography in and of itself, I don't think it's a bad thing. And that's coming from someone that's, you know, Catholic and raised Catholic. And that whole <laughs> Catholic guilt took me <laughs> I was going to go to guilt. I was waiting for it. But you got there already. <laughs> incredible. But it's, you know, if you're in a couple and it's a loving, committed relationship and both people are okay with, you know, bringing that in, it's fine. Um it's really about the couple, you know, being being okay with it and that it's not being used compulsively or that the person needs it every time they're going to have sex with their partner, because then that's not really healthy. I don't think. Josh, what do you think? Um, yeah, you know, I think it's a lot like alcohol or, you know, and especially alcohol, I think would be a good analogy. It's like saying, mm-hmm. hey, well, you know, what, what's wrong with alcohol? Well, if you're able to use it in a way that is not destructive and it actually, you know, adds value to your life and adds, you know, some gives you benefits, then there's nothing wrong with it. It's for those people that it doesn't work that way where, you know, one or two drinks and there's some reaction or something goes on where a person just loses control and everything falls apart. So I don't think it's um, an you know, a black, two black and white, you know, if you, ha- if you end up doing it compulsively, then it's a problem because I think, it's, I, think, I think it's harmful to me personally. I think it's harmful to, you know, really vilify any, any form of sexual expression um, where I have a little bit more difficulty with pornography really is at least in my mind, thinking about those people participating in the industry, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like maybe some of those people, younger women who are getting into it may come from broken homes Mm. um, or come from difficult places or they may have suffered sexual abuse. And I don't feel like those people are getting, you know, quite enough help. Um, And so I I think it would be important for people in that industry, I would hope, to be a a little bit healthier and a little bit more centered. I would like that. So in that respect respect i do have some problem with pornography i guess you could say but aside from that like an expression of love you know that people are that might 
that might prompt couples to experience different, more fun, more intimate ways of uh, showing love. You know, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with it. I want to add one thing, especially with the pornography, is when, and more so with guys, right? When guys start learning about sex through pornography, then that's going to cause a huge issue. Because pornography, it's great, but it's not real sex, right? Mm -hmm. People don't really, you know, have, they're actors. Sure. And your kind of lay person, I think, forgets that and then goes out thinking this is what sex is like. Sure. And then you get to a real sexual relationship and it's not like that. And, you know, that can cause difficulty within a relationship and especially... You know, a lot of times for the women, because they feel that, well, I'm not that, you know, or I'm not having an orgasm or my husband doesn't look like that, you know, wh whatever it could be. Sure. So I think that's where pornography can kind of be harmful. And if that is your sex education, then you're getting it in the wrong place because that's not where real sex is like. I mean, you said it perfectly. A lot of men start off in that space. And, and mm -hmm. I know uh, we've talked about the shame that comes from the addiction cycle. You know, you, you start off, you try to stop, you mess up, you fall off, you feel ashamed, and the cycle goes again. Um, with porn being such a, quote-unquote, shameful, sinful uh, release, how does one draw the conclusion that porn's okay if your mind's already saying, or you were taught, this is mm -hmm. negative, this is sinful, this is shameful. You know, I don't know if they can draw those two together and make it seem healthy. You know what I mean? It's, it's really hard, especially if you grow up in like a religious, um, you know, family or environment because it is so ingrained, right? So what I had to do for myself was kind of come to the term of how am I using this? You know, am I using it to enhance my relationship and is it consensual? A lot of times that shame comes from like that non-consent, right? That... I am bad. I am a bad person. I'm doing something, you know, that that's making me this bad person. Mm -hmm. But it's it's not I'm not a bad person, you know, and then there's that difference between shame and guilt, right? Where guilt is I did something wrong, right? Like, mm -hmm. I believe that God doesn't want me to do this. And I mm -hmm. did it. And Okay, I did something that I'm not comfortable that I did. That's guilt. Sure. I mean, well, Guilt in the sense of, I don't want to do this behavior. I don't think I'm a bad person. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to do the behavior. With shame is, I'm this horrible person. I keep doing it over and over. And why am I so bad? Gotcha. And that's kind of, you know, the difference. I had to come to terms with what my God was like. Even though I'm Catholic, I still have my own conception mm -hmm. of what that God wants for me. Mm -hmm. Right. And it may not necessarily be the, you know, sex is bad and you have to do it this way on this mm -hmm. day for mm -hmm. it to be good. That's just not, you know, my I, I don't think God really wants that for me, but it's sure. an individualized process. So the distinction between guilt and shame, um, the guilt would be I'm, I've done something bad and the shame would be I at my core inherently am bad. Gotcha. There's, yeah. there's something at the core wrong with me. And I think with religion, at least my under, my understanding and belief of God is that I am not at the core bad. I may do bad things and I can be forgiven. When you get into that state of I am 
broken um, and, and there's something inherently wrong with me, then that can feel incredibly painful, sure. which leads you back into acting out. And I think it's important to remove that shame piece from it and realize, hey, I'm not a bad person. I may be struggling with something that's very, very difficult and, you know, can be seen as an addiction. And so mm -hmm. I may be, you know, sick or having, having, you know, extreme difficulty, but I'm, I'm, I'm not a horrible, broken person. I love that. I love that. And as, as a Christian myself, uh, my own faith, you know, there are, there are lines in this discussion that make me go, you know, um, and, and, and just being honest, you know, pornography is one of those things that was, was completely taboo in my home and, and, uh, and the shame and the sin of, you know, sex outside of marriage, all those things that combat that, that, that put you in a space where, um, you have to figure out who you are and adjust what your faith is to what you believe. Um, those are tough questions for most people. And I think as, as we dive into this sex addiction part of it, a lot of it becomes a relationship with who you are and who you believe. And, you know, because there's, it's so ingrained in us and you're talking about a behavior, like we said in the beginning, that's natural. So how you color your faith will make a big difference on how this is understood. You're saying it perfectly. And the thing, you know, that I've seen is like the more we oppress something or sorry, repress. Re repress something, like I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, it's bad. Our natural tendency almost is to want to do it more. But if I kind of sure. come to terms with, I can do it, but I don't really want to do it because it doesn't align with my faith. Mm -hmm. Then that's just a different way of looking at it. Um, you know, as far as like the cheating goes, you know, or being unfaithful, uh, me and Josh were talking about this before is you know what's what's the the thing with the cheating it's not really i mean it is the sex but even more so than the sex it's the lying right mm -hmm. i'm lying to my wife that's mm -hmm. what's wrong mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. what, what, what's the lie about it's about sex it could be lying about money it could be lying about a million different things yeah but religion yeah. tends to focus so much on how you know sex and you know sex is bad unless it's done in this way mm -hmm. where really it's okay well what are we really looking at dishonesty mm -hmm. right and dishonesty yeah. in a relationship no matter what you're doing is going to be you know negative and it's going to have a negative impact on the relationship it's the broken so, trust it's the broken trust exactly. for sure. absolutely and when i work with partners right because i i work with both i work with the sex addict but i also work with the partner mm -hmm. when i work with partners over and over again they across the board they say it's not even so much the sex it's the lie that i was lied to that you know they weren't honest and even when the addict gets sober and then has relapses which is very common in uh, in sex addiction because it's a lot harder. Sex addiction, I think, is way harder than alcohol and drug abuse. Yeah. Because like you were saying, with alcohol and drugs, you kind of just, okay, it's a substance. We stop it. We just don't do it. And that's the end of that. Mm -hmm. With sex, we're going to keep having sex, just like with eating. You know, we're going to keep mm -hmm. eating. So mm -hmm. it's finding that balance. But with, you know, the, the partners, they'll say, you know, if he would have been honest that he had a slip, I wouldn't have gotten as angry. Mm -hmm. Because that honesty builds trust and vulnerability, which is so crucial for a relationship. But when the addict lies about it, the wives, you know, or the husbands, they, what they really get upset about is the lying, the betrayal. Mm -hmm. It goes so deep to, to the person's core when they're betrayed. That, that's the, that 
that is the space that close space of trust and true intimacy is actually what the sex addict is trying to avoid by acting mm. out in sex because becoming so close and intimate in that way that I personally believe God intended um, becomes a very scary place because originally as maybe youngsters or children, they weren't able to trust and feel close and safe. And mm. so it's almost a way of protecting the self from true, true intimacy. And, you know, that's, that's what I found the big, the big confusion, the scary thing for people with sex addiction is, Oh my gosh, if I give this up, it's going to be terrible. What am I going to have? And actually sure. <laughs> it's like, you'll find out like you've been on a, steady diet of bologna and, and cheese for <laughs> you know, 20 years now and <laughs> you're not going to eat but guess what there's a whole buffet available i'm telling you if you walk through that door <laughs> you're going to experience something with your wife that's going to blow your mind that you you don't know that's there so give it a shot Wow. Wow. I, lo I love that analogy too. <laughs> so that's so well spoken. And I know I'm going to, I'm going to dive into a little bit of what you guys have started return to intimacy here at the end. But, um, I want to circle back to join a question that we started off with, which is since sex addiction is something that's natural. And normally when you try to cut addiction off, you have to abstain from it. What is the actual therapy or what is the, how do you go through and you know, release someone from sex addiction and you just tell them they can't have it in their marriage for a while? What's the first steps that they go through? So I usually with my clients, and this is all, again, very individual based, um, but we usually do like a 90 day abstinence period, right? From everything. Um, and that my purpose for that is so that they can start seeing times in those 90 days that they would have used the addiction right mm -hmm. so it's almost mm -hmm. like let's kind of see what feelings come up because you've been medicating for so long that you don't even know what the feelings are a lot of you know people when i when i ask them you know where did this come from or why do you you know what drives you to act out they'll just say well because i'm horny i'm like okay well not all the time right it's like we're not mm -hmm. horny you know seven days a week, 24 hours a day. That's not how the body, you know, works. Yes, you could have a higher libido, and I take that into account. But when they stop for those 90 days, and sometimes we have to break it down to one day. I mean, it really is one day at a time. Mm -hmm. But they start seeing, oh, I was anxious, or I got really upset at my wife for something, or I felt really powerless at work. And we start making the connection that, okay, this is a time where you really wanted to go and masturbate. And so mm. it wasn't really because you were horny, but it was because you wanted to not feel that insecurity or that powerlessness or that rage. Mm. And, you know, it's not now. And again, I don't do that. If a, if a couple is married, I may not say 90 days, you know, of, uh, of abstinence unless sex. Yeah, you're, you're putting a hurt on us of 90 days, darling. Come on. <laughs> that, yeah, was, that was, that was a little bit of humor, a little bit of humor from us couples. Well, like one thing, like practically speaking, uh, we talk about kind of these like these circles of things that I absolutely don't want to do. These things that are fringe behaviors, these things that, um, you know, lead me closer to uh, acting out. And then these positive things that I want to be doing. And realistically, when working with a sex addict, um, I try to focus on the, the most harmful 
first. So if it's, you know, somebody engaging in pornography, but also acting out with escorts and or doing other things that are high risk, you know, it's doing less harm and first tackling those things and saying, okay, we're going to remove escorts and we're, we're going to remove all of it. But, and the escorts and sex outside of marriage, you know, for a fact, you do not want to be engaging in. So, you know, let's try to remove all of them, but it's, it would be a very positive if for 90 days we remove that, you know, and then in time it's like, okay, wow, I, 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 re I really did it. Like I, I do have some say in this. I can participate in my own recovery. Hmm. Um, this actually kind of works. Okay. Let's try it with the pornography and oh my gosh, it's working. I, I, I've never gone a month, two months without it. And then it takes on a momentum. And so I think, in practice, it's been good for me to actually, you know, see it, see it in a way that isn't black or white, stop everything. That's it. It would be nice and it would be great. But in practice, I haven't seen it work that way. Um, that isn't to say that that's not what we should be shooting for. Mm -hmm. um, but in practice, that's not the way I've seen it most often work mm -hmm. out. Like I said, my first thought was, and you've answered it, was, you know, how do the husband and wife couple just be abstinent? You said 60, 90 days. I thought that's tough for a husband or a wife to abstain from that natural urge of, of, for themselves as a couple. But I'm sure there are ways and boundaries and, and some, some guardrails, so to speak, in which you, you know, lower that inhibition and kind of keep that at a, at a, at a healthy pace, you know, and make sure that both people in the party understand where they're – it's like both people have to understand the goal of this. So if right. I if, if the wife said, hey, I want you to get better, and it's like, okay, we can't have sex for 60 days, as long as they're in agreement with that and they're both going for the same goal, it's possible. But if one's like, I don't know, or how's this going to work out, and the other one's restless about it, it's not going to function well, no? And that's why it's such an individual case, and depending on the sex addict's level of sex addiction, you know, and type of sex addiction. It's kind of like, I mean, it's a little different in the sense but I'm going to use it, you know, the alcoholic that is drinking every single day around the clock mm. and the one that, you know, binges on the weekends. Right. Sure. So it's similar in the sense of they lose control, they lose control mm. you know? Okay. And I, what I don't want is for the sex addict. One of the reasons of this 90 day thing also is I don't want for the sex addict to say, okay, I stopped using porn. And I'm not having, uh, you know, sex with escorts or massage parlors. So now I'm going to go to my wife and want sex all the time to kind mm. of escape those feelings. Because then I start using my partner. Mm. So usually okay. when we talk about this, we assess, we look at what's best for this couple. Mm. I have some couples that have done the 90 days and it's been awesome. And I've had some couples, like you're saying, that it just didn't work. So we had to see, okay, well then let's do, you know, some questions that we answer before we have sex mm -hmm. internally, not, you know, we're not going to talk about it, but am I in a good place? Am I, you know, wanting to just medicate and use my wife? If mm -hmm. I can answer no to those, you know, yes to the question of I'm in a good place. I really just want to be with my wife. Okay. Then, you know, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But if I'm anxious, if I'm depressed, if I'm, you know, super, upset i'm not going to go to my wife just to use her or him and i always say her or him because there's a lot of female sex addicts as sure, well and sure. husbands are the partners and that's not really talked about so much so i always use it you know with with both sexes but 
it's, you know, realizing that what's my motive, you know, for having sex. And a lot of times in early recovery, you don't really know what your motive is. So you you need some assistance. Um, The thing also with pornography is that there is a really high relapse rate because it's like what Josh is saying, you know, that's what we're shooting for. But the practicality of it is it's very difficult. You know, it's not as easy as, okay, I'm going to do 90 days and that's it. I'm not going to use. So when he was talking about those three circles Mm -hmm. and that outer circle being all the healthy stuff, that's also something that I focus on is let's not focus as much on what you can't do, Mm -hmm. but what you can do. Right. So we start implementing hanging out with family, doing, you know, sports or hobbies or things that maybe you've always been interested in, but never have done it. Mm-hmm. Praying, meditating, you know, spiritual activities, making music, hanging out with friends, playing sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Things that are fun. And when I they're focused more on that, then the other stuff, I don't need it as much because now I'm sure. starting to build these other outlets. And, you know, we use 12 step meetings mm-hmm. in, uh, in our practice. So I do encourage, you know, people to go to 12 step recovery and partly because it reduces that shame because now sure. I'm with a whole other group of people that mm-hmm. are just like, me. wow, you know, wow. Helpful. it sounds like there's not a, a cookie cutter answer to this, which is great. Cause that lets people know everybody's different and there's just not a one size fit all kind of thing. Um, so I appreciate you guys being so open and sharing multiple ways of how this can be resolved. Um, I think as I've spoken to other people, uh, there's also, alternate lifestyles like the the swinger lifestyle or something like that where there are consulting adults that are are trading partners and that type of thing is that a form of someone releasing sex addiction or being involved or do you recommend that part as well it's it could be both you know it's just like the first question that you started off with these celebrities you know so with the swingers specifically and i'm glad you know you brought up that question because i had a ton of bias myself amongst that kink bdsm community until i was trained in it right and i'm in the process of uh getting my phd in sexology and my specialty you know my uh, my specific uh coursework was in the kink bdsm community and that was my biggest question you know please please say to to the subscribers what that stands for the you said bdsm or something like that i didn't know I wasn't sure what that was, so please be a little bit more bondage, specific. Um, domination, uh, sadomasochism. Bondage, domination, okay. sadomasochism. So just, just need to make sure everybody understands. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to get you know all into it. I don't think there's anything necessarily, there's nothing wrong with, with that community. The big thing with that community and their you know sexual interactions and like a sex addict is one word and that one word is consent they have consent the kink world uses that world as consent sex addicts that's a non-existent word they don't care if you consent don't consent they're doing what they want i'm gonna get mine (laughs) right so in, in that you know, if the partner, again, just like the watching porn, if me and my husband talk about it, are healthy, 
in our emotional intimacy and we both consent to bringing someone into the marriage or going to one of these clubs and it works for us, then it's okay. If one person it doesn't work for, then it's not going to work for the couple because then it's not okay. Mm -hmm. So it all goes back to consent. It's really complicated. You know, it's, it, there's a lot more to it, but I think the big difference is consent. Yeah, and I, I love that you've clarified that though, because it's a lot of layers to this. I feel like we could probably be there for a minute, especially with the partners. And but really I think the, the way you've expressed it perfectly is that it's consent is the main issue here. Um, so I, 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 I don't want to take you off of it, but I don't want to stay too long on that. So because it's just a whole other layer of sexuality when we start talking about swinging and partners and all that stuff. It's it's just way deeper. It, it's a whole. It's 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 its own episode, right? So. <laughs> But uh, but I appreciate you clarifying that because it is a definite issue of consent. And, you know, even as I sat and thought about it and said, hey, you know, if, if this person wanted to go into that lifestyle, does that make the, it does that feed their addiction, so to speak? And if their spouse was OK with it, then I, I guess that's OK. But again, that's that's personal. And I don't know if I can judge that person to say, well, that's not good for you. I guess only the couple itself can really understand and judge that for themselves. Right. The couple with the therapist. I don't think that if you are a sex addict, it's going to be very easy or healthy to get into that lifestyle. I think it's going to bring more challenges than the benefits that you can get from it. So I would personally, you know, probably not, you know, encourage sex addicts to, to go in there because it's going to be harder, you know. And again, it, it really depends on, on the couple. Hmm. Well, we are, we are diving into some great topics here that are just kind of uncovering this whole thing. And I just feel like there's so many layers to this that I'm sure you're probably uh, uh, being encountered with every day. Just but people are people. There's so many things that people do differently, right? Um, you know, to the couple or the single person that's kind of watching today, maybe thinking, I'm struggling with this. You know, what's, what's the first step they can take to get their life back? What's the first step to do? Well, I think they could absolutely, you know, if, if you Google am I a sex addict.com, they there's a like a sex addiction quiz. It's like 40 questions. And that will at least start giving you an idea of do I have this thing? You know, even just by asking some of the questions, it can have that person kind of relate like, okay, if they're asking this and I'm answering yes. <laughs> then maybe I do have this problem because someone who doesn't have the problem wouldn't answer yes to it for the sure. most part. And it's just like in any other, you know, in all of these 12 step programs, there's Alcoholics Anonymous has like a 20 question, you know, like answer mm -hmm. these 20 questions. And if you answer, you know, six or more, you're probably an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. um, and that misxaddict.com has that same thing. So that's, you know, helpful. And I always say, education you know read about it google it there are a ton of books um you know that deal with this out of the shadows by patrick carnes is one that's for the addict and uh, the one for the partner is called mending a shattered heart mm. it also you know is both of those books are about sex addiction and okay. actually dr carol clark also has a book called addict america which is a great book on just addiction you know in general and am i struggling with an addictive personality wow wow and i know josh you know you had mentioned of course as a coach that it's all about 
giving back to intimacy. And I know you guys have a program called Re- Return to Intimacy. Talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. Well, it's it's a couple things, but at its core, what it truly is, is sort of like an online rehab. So Charlene worked under Patrick Carnes and has, is able to use his method of, of, of recovery. And there's a methodology that they use that he uses in in some of the rehabs that he has one of one of which is you know out in arizona the ones that these people pay tons of money to fifty sixty thousand dollars a month to do um we're able to do it with people from home and it requires work you know one-on-one individual therapy or one-on-one individual working with with a coach um and a little bit of group group therapy and a whole lot of education a whole lot of psychoeducation on how addiction plays out in their life, whether they're, they are or are not a, an, an addict and being able to remove some of the denial that addicts have and then moving forward. So it's like a 10 week program in recovery, you know, and extracting yourself from that process. And so from that, we've gone into a similar uh, program for women and how, and partners really of sex addicts who don't know how to cope and there's an there's an entire set of steps and um practices that can be adopted which can really change everything and so we felt like you know with nearly 30 million americans suffering from sex addiction and it being so difficult to get this type of um treatment and so expensive we thought it would be awesome if we could make it available to really everybody wow Wow, that is that's just amazing, and you know I've known you, I've known you for years, and and didn't even know that this was part of your 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 history, and I love that you're so open about it and transparent, and I think that's what help a lot of people come out of the shadows if they can say, hey, I'm like that. I, I, he's not ashamed. He can come and talk about it clearly. I can too. I think removing the shame or the stigma from what they've gone through and allow them to be who they are and get the help is probably the biggest uh, marker that you can make in this. Don't you think? Yeah, and letting people know that they are not alone. They are absolutely not alone. Yeah, yeah. Well, you two have been an amazing uh, guest together, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk about a very delicate, very controversial subject. But I think I've learned a lot just listening to what you guys have shared, uh, and I hope that you guys wish more success. And if anyone wants to talk to you or get a hold of you guys about the program you have, how do they find you? Uh, Return to intimacy.com. We have a contact form or uh, Charlene at return, and that's number two, intimacy.com. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for, for taking the time. And for everybody out there that's watching this particular episode, I know it's been a touchy one, but take some time and listen. You know, we don't we didn't take this episode to judge or, or, or take a direction and say this is right or wrong. It's information for you to decipher for yourself and figure out what fits your life. Uh, if you're a Christian like myself or, or a Catholic like Charlene was, you've got to make this fix in your faith and figure out where you lie. But take some time and just discover what the real information is here, and you'll make your own decision and what fits your life. Hope this helps one today. Put your thoughts in the comments. But as always, look forward to seeing you again at the next Beautiful Now Live. Have a great one, guys. Take care. And thank you, Charlene and Josh. Thank Thank you. you.